and welcome. My name is Jolene. And I'm Emma. Two costume designers who share love of horror and fashion history have brought us together to deep dive the horror genre, going behind the scenes to uncover, understand, and analyze iconic horror characters, costumes, and their designers that are simply to die for. So we want to welcome you all to season two. Um, This is our first episode of season two. So welcome, guys. We are so excited to be back for another season. Woo! This episode, we're going to do it a little differently. Um, This one in the next episode. So I am going to actually interview Emma today because we figured just give you guys a chance as listeners to get to know us a little bit more, get to know how we got here, um, what movies excite us, what styles everything that excites us about this genre and why we do what we do. So welcome, Emma. Thank you. My goodness, I've never been here before. <laughs> so happy. Thank you for having me on your podcast. You're so welcome. We, I am so excited to have you and to, I mean, Emma and I just when we podcast and we stop recording anyway, we wind up just talking for, you know, a few more hours after yeah, our recording. True. So this is nothing new. <laughs> so now we want to give our listeners a chance to get to know us. Um, and I've been tracking the stats on Anchor. We have a lot of consistent listeners. We are so happy to have those consistent listeners. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining yeah. us for season one. And we're really happy that you're sticking around and joining us for this season. And we just wanted to, um, yeah, give you guys an opportunity to get to know us on a different level as we move into this second season and, you know, showcase each other just because we are obsessed with each other. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So this is going to be really fun. Um, I'm excited. I've got some good questions. Ooh, so I'm ready. Yeah. Let's dive right in. Okay. So first and foremost, what got you into costuming? So costuming is something that I've always really admired. Um, it's always been something that has drawn me into a film. Uh, so when I first knew that I wanted to pursue film or even just when I first was interested in watching movies, that was like one of the first things I noticed. Um, I've always loved fashion. I've always loved the ability to you know, express myself through fashion. I found it really interesting the way that, you know, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but the way that costumes can um, kind of reveal an identity or a part of someone. Um, And I always used fashion to express myself. Uh, Something that my grandma, who is, you know, absolute fashion girly, she (laughs) loves fashion. Um, She's a seamstress. Like I've always, I've kind of gotten that from her and I think that I've carried that through all my interests. Like even when I'm like, I'm interested in archaeology. It's like a random side hobby of mine. And I'm still really interested in like old clothes and like random pieces of fabric and stuff that they'll find. It's just so interesting. It tells you so much, not only about a culture, but about people and Mm -hmm. an individual. Um, And so I knew that when I just knew I wanted to be a filmmaker, I was like, I know that that's what I want to do. I want to create films. I want to create stories. Um, And I want to kind of dabble in all the different parts of um, the filmmaking process. And so costume was one of the first things that came to mind, aside from like writing and directing and just like, you know, creating projects. That was the department I was the most interested in, Um, not only because it's visually intriguing, uh, because I was interested in the idea of, you know, like I mentioned, exploring characters through what they were wearing mm-hmm. and how that can be so unique to a film and so unique to a story. 
so yeah, when I was, um, in college, um, I wanted to study costume design as well as film. And so I just kind of took a bunch of random courses from a bunch of random places and even just like free courses online and just really got into studying the craft of costume design, uh, fashion history and theory and how that relates to film. Uh, and so all my interests kind of collided. Uh, and I knew I always wanted to make stylized film. And I felt that to have, to be able to do that, I had to have a really good understanding of um, costume design and, you know, production design as well. It's great to have a comprehensive, uh, I guess, understanding of the ecosystem of film. But yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that costume is, I, I it, it comes more naturally to me as far as understanding it, understanding how it works. Um, and so, yeah, I started doing film and fashion separately initially. Um, I would make um a lot of these won't see the light of day, but back in the day, I would make like, um, you know, like experimental little shorts, little silent films. And um, they're always, again, really highly stylized. Like the costumes are really important to me. And then I would also on the side, like style photo shoots. Um, fun. And so I would kind of do those separately. But then I, you know, it kind of naturally merged together, I would say. Um, and then when we did our first monstrous fan films film uh that was we already knew that was going to be super you know highly stylized and um I kind of came on as a costume designer for that yeah um and that was one of my long my first like longer projects where I was um initially just coming on as a costume designer and so it was really fun to dive specifically into that role yeah um and uh yeah I had a great time it was really fun to play with um, I already knew I loved period pieces. And so to be able to focus um, my costume design, uh, you know, playing in that role in a period piece was really, really fun. Um, and so that was Fanatico. That was our first one that we did. Um, and then after that, I ended up eventually getting, um, you know, and I, and I would, you know, go on to also um, costume design and produce um, a couple of our other films as well. And so creative direction with our brand identity or uh I say brand identity really is just like me and Hannah and like what we like to do it's a brand um, identity it's a, it's a brand because identity. it's so specific and like you look at these stills and we could talk more about Monstrous Femme on another episode too because like you know it's a you and Hannah film like you guys have a very yeah. clear vision which is incredible for how young you guys are I mean not that like you're super young but like <laughs> you know like you're in your mid-20s and you have a, yeah. a clear identity as a vision already like that's incredible thank you yeah I think that's what um meeting Hannah was really great when we first started getting to know each other it was we I think we both felt very seen and so it mm -hmm. felt natural to continue making films together and um we've been kind of rounding out this trilogy um and, uh, you know, the next one is one that I'm directing, but it's still going to, like, we both have this, whatever role we're in, we both have this, like, stylistic influence that um, I feel really confident and happy and it feels very fulfilling. Um, but yeah, I started getting into costume, like, that's been, like, my independent work, my Monsters Femme film stuff. I've done a few other indie films um, as well, where I'm costume designing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's super, super fun. I ended up getting a... A job on the film pig the nick cage film pig yes um and that's honestly that's been like highlight of my life <laughs> truly an amazing experience um 
and I was a worship assistant on it. And I learned so much and it was so cool to be surrounded by um, so many amazing creatives uh, on that set. Um, and even just, I mean, outside of costume design, just that everyone was so passionate about that film. And that was really inspiring for me to be around. Um, and that's where I learned a lot of skills around like the importance of distressing, like things like that. Cause I, you know, a lot of my costume design is a very specific niche kind of type of costume designing. Cause most of the times it's like, I'm doing it for a monstrous femme films project. I'm doing it for, or something adjacent, like a really stylish genre film. Like that's right. kind of my niche thing, but to do a film that was so different, it really made my love for costume design and its ability to tell stories um, that much bigger right. because um, you know, it was a completely different story and the costumes were relatively simple, but they told a story like mm -hmm. they, like Nick Cage's character, um, Rob, he has like, basically it was like his clothes that he's supposed to have had forever basically. And that he's always mending. And so we would literally rub sandpaper all over the costumes to distress it. And we would use schmear, like brown sh dirt schmear to like put all over it and make it look worn in and uh you know dyeing it to make it look sweaty and doing like putting different buttons and different stitch colors on um his little whatchamacallit onesie right that he wears and just that was cool and it was so so much love and care that was put into it that I thought was really interesting and so um I've been you know I've done some more professional wardrobe gigs uh, since then, uh, that have really taught me a lot about, um, or really reminded me more so of, of why I love film and, and the impact that costuming can have on it, uh, can have on a film. And, yeah. and that's really what excites me about it and what's important to me and why I like to pursue it and why, you know, films that I do, it's, it's really important to me to make that a part of it. Yeah. Oh, I love that because like through your work, you can clearly see how much care and how much attention to detail goes into everything that you do. And I don't know if some of our listeners follow your personal, like your not podcast account, like you mm -hmm. where, I mean, like Emma gives me the cold sweats every time she costumes a movie because she's constantly thrifting and vintage shopping. And I'm like, <laughs> this stuff isn't going into horror movies and it's so beautiful. But like, that's the kind of level of detail that Emma does. Like she finds Aww. vintage pieces and reuses them or she makes, you know, <laughs> new patterns. Oh my goodness, Sweepy. <laughs> Sweepy is just a part of every podcast now. <laughs> Featured um, guest. Yeah. So when you were in school, did you, and you took like different classes and stuff like mm. that. Um, did your film program have a costume design program or was that part of the, because mm. I've never seen a film program with costume design in it. It was separate. It, it was, separate. I, I okay. did. I pursued them a little bit separately. Okay. Um, and I would also do like, so I took a ton of online classes basically. And gotcha. then there was also, um, the Northwest film center here in town. I think they renamed it. So I don't know what it's called now. Yeah. Um, but it would, it would come up if you looked up the Northwest film center in Portland. Mm -hmm. Um, they're a really great resource um, oh, awesome. for uh, vetting filmmakers. And so I immediately jumped into a lot of their classes. It's not like um, their classes are more like a certificate program yeah. or yeah. just, you know, if you want to learn about it. Which is still super helpful because it's just yeah. working professionals teaching these classes. And like that's 
that's what bugs me about the American university school system is that Mm -hmm. in Europe, you get film and you get theater education. And over here, you have to pick a route. And I don't think you should have to pick. Like, if you want to be a filmmaker or you want to be a theater maker, that's fine. But like, I do believe that everybody should get both because like you don't get costume design, you don't get production design, you don't get these other classes in film courses, you get acting, you get directing. And then in theater, you get all these classes, which are super helpful, but then they're like, you have to switch your brain if you want to apply them to film. Yeah. Which is not that different in film, but still like production design doesn't exist in uh, theater. It's, you know, different roles. So like, I do think that, like, that's awesome how you did it, that you were like, oh, this is what I want to do. So you had the foresight to not only pursue a film degree, but say, okay, now I'm going to take costume design classes on the side so I can figure out how to do this for film and apply this to film. Like, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, I do love learning. I also have, <laughs> I have kind of a, a gripe with folks who are not even folks, but just uh, the, the, school of thought that you have to pursue a degree right. to get into film um the way that i studied it was not you know at like my local university where i was getting opportunities um you know where they like off- offering up internships like that kind of thing right um it was kind of just a solo thing that i pursued a lot yeah. of it was online like uh, or it was like classes where those are just kind of like one-off classes. And um, because I grew up in a, in a small town, I grew up in like the Oregon countryside. It was gorgeous. Like I would hang out in Portland a lot, but I didn't grow up here. I didn't, um, I, I didn't have like a network of friends that um, like pursued film. Like I, I talked to friends that I have now. They're like, oh yeah, I, I met, you know, all these people in my film class in high school. I was like, you had a film class in high school? Yeah. Like I, I it just didn't exist for me. And so, um, you know, it, it was, it felt tangible for me to um, pursue that on a more solo level. Um, I was also shy and didn't really know where to start yeah. with that interest. Um, it did take moving actually into the city um, and meeting people with similar interests. Um, and a lot of my friends now did go to, um, like PSU, mm-hmm. uh, Portland state university. They have a great film program. Um, but you know, I had to like, I, I, I just don't want people to feel like they have to do that. You know, like no. I want to encourage yeah. people that like, if you want to get into film, if you want to learn about it, like see try and see what productions are in town like cold email the people on that crew like try and like try and look into indie film in your town look into nonprofits if there's any nonprofits in your town that are um you know like resources for film education yeah um we're lucky in portland to have a lot of those kinds of places um but yeah like i had to get there was a film I did where I had to um, it was a like a big indie film that came to Portland and I had to uh, I had recommendations to for this internship role on that film mm-hmm. um, but because I wasn't a college student um, like at the time to get into that internship or because it wasn't offered through my school I had to, they basically didn't put me in the credits because they're like, you can come on and be like a secret intern, but you can't be an actual intern. Uh, but it's so weird. 
it was very very weird but i you know that goes to show that like if you don't have the means or don't even want to go to school for film but you want to pursue film i think it's possible to to still try a lo- so much of it is just talking to people oh absolutely um and getting involved yeah yeah being self-made in this industry is really important especially with the i mean this more so happens on bigger levels but it happens on smaller scales too where like it's all who you know and a lot of people there's a lot of nepotism i mean we hear about this all the oh my time goodness, yeah. but like if you just shoot your shot and just cold email and you can become self-made in this industry you just gotta want it honestly mm-hmm. and i know that that's sometimes easier said than done for people but you really do have to want this industry because it'll break you down it'll you know like take you in t- seven different directions like you mm-hmm. don't need a degree you just have to have some love and i mean for some roles you do need some knowledge of what you're doing so that you could do them but yeah that's awesome so when did you move to portland um so i I lived like 30 minutes outside of Portland my whole oh, life. Okay. So That's I still lived. Yeah. I yeah. was still like on the weekends. I was in like a local choir in Portland. And so right. I would still um, spend a lot of time in the city. Um, but I lived in like Beaverton until I was six, which is like a suburban area. And then we moved to Cornelius, which is like the tiniest little city um, out in the countryside. It's kind of near. Um, Hillsboro, which is another kind of suburban area of Oregon um, that is known for ha- having intel <laughs> and oh. a lot of like intel dads and okay. um, like religious families. Um, and I lived in like a little tiny countryside town right by it. Gotcha. Um, and so we were still in the Hillsboro school district. Right. Um, but yeah, I was around a lot of people that were um, really conservative Um mostly like mostly white I mean we actually did we had some diversity Hillsborough has a really large like Mexican population and so there were a lot of Mexican families that went to my school and so but it was just so it was such a small town like we were all the school didn't offer too much and so I moved to Portland right after high school and I lived in this (laughs) crappy little apartment um by a really fancy college. I didn't go Ooh. to the fancy college, but it was near the fancy college. <laughs> okay. Um, and that was in, that had to have been like 20, it was like a year or two after I graduated, around mm. like like the mid-2010s. Okay. I moved to Portland full-time and I've been living cool. here since. Um, awesome. And yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to uh, expand my, my city range soon and do more work in um, LA and New York. In the next year, it's kind of my goal, at least, is it to at least spend more time outside of Portland. Yeah, come to New York. Yes, that's that is my <laughs> little plan. So um, you might you might see me in other areas, but I do love Portland. Yay! So what is it about the horror genre, and and what was the film that kind of brought you into the genre above other mm. genres? Yeah. So horror is something that. I always really was drawn to, I think as young as like watching Mm -hmm. (laughs) Scooby-Doo. And, you know, I I think it started as something that was more, um, it was thrilling. It was fun. It was action packed, you know, the suspense of it all, like as a kid. And I would watch a ton of horror and sci-fi films with my dad growing up. And in high school, I, you know, would go and see like every horror movie that came out. I'd go to the theater for every single horror movie that came out. 
I would host like horror movie like weekends with my friends oh, um, fun. and force them to watch horror movies growing up. And that was really fun. And so for a while, it was just kind of like, you know, like Insidious is goofy, but let's go see that. Like, it's fun. Right. And like a lot of like, I love like bad horror movies which I still do like I'm obsessed with bad movies that are good yeah you know oh, yeah. They're, they're the best they're, they're absolutely the best. the best um and I really I, I had no sense of like these movies mean something to me I was just like this is fun and you know right. it's a distraction from from life it's really fun to get immersed in and uh, watch with friends I love watching movies with friends more than I do myself at least those kinds of movies right um but then I saw Orphan actually in 2009 Okay. And that instantly became my favorite horror movie. It was the first horror movie that I saw, especially of the newer horror films. This was kind of right when, before I got into like older films and I was still kind of watching just kind of like modern stuff that would come out, high school, middle school. It, it, it's like a psychological horror that I had never, I'd never really seen that. I mostly had seen, I think at around that time, like late 2010s, um, or no, not late 2010s, early 2010s, late 2000s. That was really a, like a jump scary period in horror. Oh, yeah. And I loved it. Like I ate it up. <laughs> and I'd be like, wow, this is horrible. This is, I love it. It's um, good for teens, especially when we like, oh, yeah. That era where like it's, they're cheap, fun movies that you can go to the movies with your friends and like, or take it yeah. and be like, oh, yeah, these are jump scares. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It was funny. It was like they wanted to do like, the scream thing, except that it was more serious and like blue and gray. Yeah. Now which <laughs> everything was, was blue and gray. That was really a mess, but um, <laughs> yeah, I saw. I mean, even Orphan, frankly, was like blue and gray. Um, but I actually thought that movie was so disturbing. And upon a second watch, I still stand by it being a really great horror film. And I became so obsessed with it, and it kind of led me down a rabbit hole of psychological horror. I love that, which is still one of my if not my favorite subgenre to explore, or I just love horror films that have a psychological element to it because those are the films that actually really tangibly scare me. Um, like I don't, you know, I think you're the same, like we don't really get scared by horror, but horror also doesn't have to be super scary to be right. good. Yeah. Um, but the fact that there was something that could so tangibly, I don't know, leech its way into my brain and freak me out. Um, I was really fascinated by and that kind of led me down this hole of wanting to explore more uh, through horror because I had felt that it was the best you know genre to explore this in the depths of the human condition which sounds really broad and vague but um, I, I'm really interested in the the nuances of existing in this world and exploring mm -hmm. the darker twisted, inner workings of our minds and the complexities of that through um, a more uh, extemporaneous way mm -hmm. uh, through horror. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, that makes sense. More, like metaphorical, like horror yeah. is deeply metaphorical. I love that. I find it really, really artistic. I think it's interesting that there are people that don't like the horror genre because they don't see like any artistic value in it. I think it's yeah. extremely artistic because so much of it is about interpreting what it means. And Absolutely. like, you know, people who are, you know, obsessed with like high art and 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 going to art museums and looking at paintings and pondering what they mean, it's like horror is exactly that also. I mean, I think all film is, but so much there's so much more than meets the eye. Right. And maybe that's it. Maybe 
someone watches a horror film and they're like, that was fun. I don't really know why that happened, but I started to really get into analyzing the other, like behind the door of mm-hmm. horror, yeah, you know? Um, and that's really what I, I just felt really called to that. I want to explore that in my work. And that's what's so cool about costume design is that it can help further that, like what's behind the door, right? It can further a plot, tell you more about a character. And I, I find that just really interesting but orphan was definitely the film that kind of bridged that gap and then i started getting into the genre as a whole um instead of just like okay google what's the worst you know horror film i could watch right now and then watching that (laughs) that's so funny i remember when that movie came out i've never seen it but i do distinctly remember the poster Mm -hmm. i remember the ads for it because it's that little girl with the choker Uh uh-huh on the on the poster that's interesting. I love finding out people's like gateway films into horror. It's really interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody the... has a different answer, obviously. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. It's it's really fun. And we could do a whole episode. I actually did do an episode on, um, I think I've actually talked about it on a few podcasts where I talk about Orphan. Yeah. Um, and talk about the costuming in it. It's really, it's really fun. It's really campy, actually. Mm. Because there's this little girl in like 2009 America wearing like this Victorian ghost costume, basically, just like out of school. Yeah. And it's so silly. And then like, you know, it's it's just, yeah, we'll have to talk about it more after you watch it. It's really I need to watch it. Interesting how they kind of it's like it's like secretly campy. Okay. Like when you it's not supposed to be, but it is. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so why giallo then because i know that that's your favorite genre subgenre mm-hmm. what about giallo is just like like how did you discover giallo oh gosh i think i discovered it through that same like pipeline okay. <laughs> of like psychological horror yeah that's very and, psychological for sure and through um like also just being interested in 70s film right. and there are so many 70s giallos and it's it's kind of it's it's like a sub sub genre of psychological horror I feel yeah at least in in my opinion and I love the stylish elements of it the lighting the costuming the makeup uh I'm extremely drawn to it and um the way that they tell stories in kind of um a distorted uh unreliable way mm-hmm. even I think is really fascinating to me I would say that uh Beyond necessarily like my favorite subgenre, I just really love Mario Bava specifically. Mm. Mostly, I feel really called to like his surreal like dream sequences and the way that that plays into this like mystery. And so, yeah, I just kind of found it through that same pipeline. But yeah, I, I find it really interesting. Honestly, any 70s horror is my favorite decade of horror. And so I think that a byproduct of that is also loving like Giallo and like yeah. these more stylish horror films that can be fun and a great story and have more than meets the eye but also be kind of just campy and yeah. feel sur- feel surface level if you want it to feel that way but also there's more than meets the eye if you want to look further too oh yeah I mean and that that does kind of mesh with what you were talking about about how like you like the psychological discovery of human beings and human behavior I mean 70s horror is like a textbook in what was happening in the country at the time, what mm-hmm. were we reflecting on and what were we projecting on our screen? So like that makes total sense why the, Absolutely. the 70s horror really attracts you. Yeah. Do you have a favorite look in, of, in a giallo, in the favorite giallo? Because um, you talk about that mm. one. Oh, I always forget her name, but you talk about that one woman all the time. 
Nickelodeon. Oh, oh Dar- Daria Nickelodeon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all of her looks in Deep Red are gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I really, really love her looks in that. I think actually that might be, it's so simple, but she wears like, just like a little like white and black look. It has kind of the strong yellow eye. And so I do love that look. Uh, it's, it's so, I don't know, quintessentially 70s. Yeah. It also feels very Italian and, and dramatic at the same time. Right. Um, and it doesn't really sexualize her either, which I think that is a problem with Giallo is, mm. and I mean, I guess horror and film in general. Yeah. yeah just, film. Um, just film. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I like that look a lot. Now that you said that about, you know, sexualizing women as mm-hmm. feminists, as we protest, you know, we, we tell people that this is a feminist podcast. Yeah. Like, I'm sure you get the question a lot, as as do I, but how do you watch horror as a feminist? Do you find, Mm. where where is the offensive line for you versus like non-offense? You know, like where where does that line draw for you in horror? That's a good question. Yeah. I think that a lot of it comes in reclamation and kind of taking back narratives for us to consume. I think it's kind of a radical act for women to enjoy exploitation films and horror films. And, um, you know, I think a great example of that is like the exploitative nature of um, 70s lesbian vampire films. Mm, Right. um, Which we do touch on a bit uh, last season on our queer horror um, two-parter when we talk about the 70s. But um, that was largely made for the male gays. Right. It was made by men for men but as queer people or even as wi- just women non-men viewers of these films just enjoying it for the stylish nature and the fun and the camp and you know the, the ridiculousness of it all I think is radical because it wasn't made for us right and um, I think that's kind of how I view viewing horror I think that it's all it's also easier to reclaim or view older films that have an exploitative nature to them because we can not only there is that there's something to reclaim there and there's history there to reflect on but when it comes to something that's modern I think that's where you run into a a problem where it's like yeah why would like like why would this be okay right like you should know better it's 2022 yeah and it's it's so it's so nuanced and especially when it comes to like modern stuff. I recently saw X already one of my favorite films of the year. So totally good. amazing. Yeah. And I think that that is an example of doing like an exploitation film modern well by yes. a man. Yeah, absolutely. But it didn't feel male gazy. No, it didn't. Like it was a movie about porn, but it wasn't about porn. But, and it could have been, it could have been a movie just about porn, frankly, right. and still be done well. It's, there's just a degree of thought that I think needs to go in it. Like you can show tits on screen, like, and I'm not going to be upset. It, it's how do you treat that character? Does the character have right. dimension, a purpose in the story other than just being there as an accessory? Those are the kinds of things that I, I think about, especially when it comes to modern films. I think that older films, there's some slack that you can maybe give and that just you know in, enjoying things that were you you weren't supposed to enjoy you know that society doesn't want you to enjoy right um is its own radical act that i think is really cool um and that women can make exploitation film now too yeah 
we, we've always been here. We've always uh, been making it. And so, yeah, that's kind of my, my thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Now, do you have a favorite non-horror film that you love either just for the film itself, for the costuming? Like mm-hmm. it could be a myriad of things. You can have a, a mm. few that check off different things. I think I, well, okay. Ken Russell is one of my favorite directors. Experimental surrealist film is kind of my within horror and not horror, like my favorite right. thing. And it was all happening in, in the 70s. And sense. it was all happening in the 70s. <laughs> so of course, I love all the freaky 70s horror. So a lot of people say The Brood isn't, or I'm sorry, not The Brood, um, because that is definitely a horror film. Um, I did a podcast where I compared these two films. I meant to say The Devils, um, unrelated to The Brood which has nothing to do with yeah, very <laughs> different Russell. film. Very different film. Uh, but the, people argue that The Devils is not um, a horror film. And it's I on Shudder. It's it a horror is. film. I 100% think it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, I love Tommy. That's one of my favorite films of Ken Russell. I love Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which is where I get mm-hmm. a lot of stylistic influence. And for the film that I'm writing now, draws a lot of inspiration from that. But like, make it horror um and make it fucked up yeah. <laughs> yeah those films come to mind a lot of cool sci-fis that I'm into a lot of them I guess do kind of lean sci-fi horror now that I think about it um oh I love The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant which is a mm. German film very stylish and interesting kind of like German artsy fartsy film yeah that I really love is it an um, older film or a, more of a newer film? It's, I think it's early 70s. Okay. I think maybe, yeah, no, that feels right. I think early 70s feels right. And then, oh goodness, what's it called? What is that one film? Um, Can't think of it. There's a great sci-fi. It's really freaky and interesting that I wouldn't consider a horror that I like. I'll get back to you. Okay on that one um but yeah those films kind of come to mind so I, I like things that even if it's not horror that kind of take an element really far and usually right. that element is the stylistic nature okay um and I like when that's taken really far and over the top I guess oh oh my god like any John Waters film that is a oh. horror or not a horror film right I think is amazing I feel like people don't aren't as into Wes Anderson nowadays but back in the day like that was a massive like I was I, I, saw, Wes, I saw Wes Anderson films and I was like I want to make that but make it fucked up yeah <laughs> and yeah. like that's that I remember that being the first moment of clarity and like yeah. my personal taste and and style um so maybe it's cringe now to like Wes Anderson I don't know I know I, I love always love Rushmore, Moonrise Kingdom was for, like my favorite film for a really, really long time. Yeah. Um, and I think is is still up there just because I, I think it's done so well. It's um, so, oh, I all of his films. Yeah, I'm a huge yeah. Wes Anderson fan. I could talk about him for hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, Have you seen the uh, um, the SNL sketch that they did like years ago with Ed Norton? And it was um, it was a Wes Anderson film, but done as a slasher. It's one of my favorite <gasps> SNL. Oh sketches. my god, I didn't know that existed. It I will is, have to. Look I will that send up. you the link because I put Please it in my do. Wes Anderson costume lecture. Oh my god! And it yes. is just like, and it's Edward Norton doing it's it. So funny! And it's oh my gosh, it is so funny. It it's fantastic. It's <laughs> so well done. I love it. Um, all right, so one more question for you. Okay. 
not related to anything, but your your feed has become a foodie feed as of late. So I have <laughs> to ask my beautiful Jewish princess, what is your favorite Jewish comfort food? Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, uh, oh, easy. Totally easy. It's um, fried matzah Ooh. and it's it's not actually fried. So I don't know why it's called that. There's also another, I think it's also called like matzah brie or matzah brie. I call it fried matzah though. Okay. It's basically, this might sound gross to people. I don't know. It's like matzah and then you crumble it up and then you like soak it in water a little bit, but like not a lot. You just want it to be like kind of soft. And then you crack eggs on it or like whisk eggs and then pour it on it. And then you like make it like you're making scrambled eggs and like salt it and then you're done and then you put and maybe not everyone does this and then you put maple syrup on it okay it sounds kind of disgusting like when i explain it i promise you it's phenomenal and also it's like bottomless like you're never full you could just keep eating it interesting well yeah matzo doesn't have much to it so that makes sense yeah you just keep going I do love matzah. The um the grocery stores by me do like if you spend like seventy five dollars around Passover, you get like mm-hmm. five pounds of matzah. So like oh my, my mom God. always gets the five pounds of matzah, and we eat it with like well now I do vegan better, but we used to do butter and cinnamon and or jam on mm-hmm. it and just eat it as a snack. And maybe because I'm oh not like fully Jewish, I enjoy matzah. But a lot of my Jewish friends are like, how could you like matzah? I'm like it's good. Oh my God, I love matzah. It's oh so my good. God, and. Her, I don't know if you've had haroset, but it's like a dip that you eat. <gasps> With like the, the apples and the cinnamon? Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm. It's so good. That's so like good. a runner-up. <laughs> yeah. um, that's another reason I need to just move to New York because I want five pounds of matzo. Hell, yeah. Come to Z- <laughs> Zabar's. Zabar's, you can get like all oh, the food. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. I need that. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you guys for listening to this short but sweet um super informative interview that we did with (laughs) emma and um yeah so next week we're gonna do emma's gonna interview me and if you want to hear more things like this please let us know because we like talking about us ourselves we like talking about ourselves (laughs) because we have a lot of fun um just love ourselves yeah and that's great because you know what we are dynamic women filmmakers self-made And we've worked hard to get here. So yeah, if you're ever curious or have questions for us, just shoot us a line. And we love uh, girl bossing. Oh, absolutely. 100%. (laughs) So thank you as always for joining us. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at to die for that's D Y E and on Twitter at die podcast. And next time you go into your closet, remember that your pieces could also be to die.